Our servers are going to come receive the morning offering. As they do, we have a few short announcements for you. The first of which being we are going to be returning to our summer big kids schedule in two weeks. So not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. On August 6th, we'll have uh, summer big kids start back up again, which I know I'm like kind of sick to my stomach even saying the, the word August. Uh, like summer has flown by, uh, but... Eh. School's coming, peeps. All right. So uh, with students, we had an awesome time over at the Coldwaters. So uh, if you have a junior hire, you want to make sure to, to catch the Coldwaters today. Thank them for letting us absolutely tear apart their pool. I don't know how many chemicals they had to dump in there after like all the grass and disgusting junior high snot and all that stuff uh, that was left in that pool. It was a really fun time. I don't think I got out of the pool for more than five minutes during the three and a half hours that I was there. Uh, but so that was a lot of fun. We are going to take this Wednesday for refuge off because Revive is going to be taking like an impromptu trip to Six Flags. So uh, refuge, we have something planned for you. You'll be getting more details through that on Remind. So if you're not uh, signed up for Remind and you have if you either are or you have a student in junior high or high school, you want to make sure to go to the welcome desk today and pick up a sheet with instructions on how to sign up for Remind, because that's how we send out all of our information with students, uh, and so you want to make sure that you don't miss out on anything there. All right. um, also, we are making progress with the Family Life Center. Uh, the, the drying is starting to happen slowly, but again, we really appreciate your patience. Uh, we know that we got to use it for camp, and we're going to try to use it for some other things, but for now, it's still, like, the floor is not in, so it's not, it's not to the end goal yet, but again, we really appreciate uh, your patience in, in waiting for what is going to be an amazing space for us to use for all of our ministries. So, uh, luckily, I am fortunate enough to be here, and I get to speak to you today. Uh, so, if you were planning on taking a nap this morning, you can go ahead and start now. Um, yeah, so I'm really, I'm really excited to be here and, and uh, speak with you this morning. Today, we're going to take the next step in our summer teaching series. Uh, when it's all over, it all goes back in the box. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, God's calling for our lives. We're choosing between calling and comfort today. And I can't lie, it, it feels really good to be back here and not away at camp. Because if you've ever been in youth ministry and you've gone to camp, or you were a student who went away to camp, whether it was like with church or not, you know the camp life, somehow you were always wet or dirty, like, there's, there's zero percent of the time where you are dry or clean. Like, you can take a shower, walk outside, and it's so humid that you're just sweating through the next shirt, and you're dirty again. So it feels nice to be clean and dry, and I'm sure that that will get messed up here pretty soon as I start pitting out. But uh, it feels good to be back here. Uh, with camp, I, I love one of my most fond memories of our camps that we do here is actually the, the drives. I love the trip to Green Lake and the trip from Green Lake. I love the trip to Green Lake because it's filled with excitement. Everybody's like bubbling over, really pumped to get up there and get to work and start doing all the crazy things that we have planned up there. And then the ride home is usually dead silent. Everybody is zonked out, like they just, they have no energy and it's, and it's good. However, uh, I normally stay up ridiculously late with the students on Thursday night. So I'll stay up until like, I mean, I think last year we stayed up until about 
4.30, and then woke up at 8 o'clock to drive home. So I was running on total burnout, and I told my car, I was like, guys, you need to help me stay awake. And so one of the things that we did was uh, I had Blake Herzberg in my car, and he pulled out his phone. He downloaded a game. He actually downloaded this game. He downloaded the game of life on his phone, all right? So we started playing life and passing around his phone and spinning. And of course, I wasn't doing it while I was driving. He was spinning for me because I would never, ever use my phone uh, in the car. But yeah, that's besides the point. Blake downloaded life, and we played through the entire trip. Like, we just kept playing over and over and over again. Life's a really fun game. Uh, But the game of life is all about the decisions that you make. The decisions that you make in the game of life can make or break your chances to win. And again, the game, the goal of every game is to win, right? Uh, Yeah, so... You want, to, you want to make sure that you're making the right choices so that you can eventually retire in millionaire estates. Retiring there doesn't necessarily mean that you win, but it gives you a really good shot. There's only a few people in the game can retire there. So right out of the gate, you actually have to make a choice. Are you going to go the college route or are you going to go the career route? Now, both have their advantages. If you go the career route, you get a payday like right away. If you go the college route, you start in debt, but then like you get better job options, so you're getting, you know, more, well, sometimes, you're getting more money on your paydays, and you have different advantages for different routes. So right out of the gate, though, you have to make a choice. You have to pick a lane. Are you going to go this way, or are you going to go this way? You can't start the game until that choice has been made. Similarly, we need to make that kind of choice in our real game of life. We need to choose whether we are going to travel down God's path or our own. He gives us the free will to make that choice for ourselves, which frankly leaves me amazed every time I think about that. He didn't have to do that. As John spoke about last week, we want to be the master of our board. We want control. We love control. And God gives us the opportunity to make our own choices and control our board if we so choose to. As we flip through the Bible, there's no shortage of examples of people who choose to take control of their board. Spoiler alerts galore, it never pans out. It never works. Never ends well. I hope you were able to spend some time this week identifying at least one area of your life in which you were able to resign as the master of your board, as John encouraged you. If you weren't, don't worry. There's still time. There's no test or anything like that. Uh, But God calls us to relinquish control of our lives and trust him completely. Now, again, we kind of talk about that superlatively sometimes, so we don't really understand, like, what that looks like. Well, we're going to get to the nitty-gritty of that a little more today. Remember that surrender isn't always simple. Last week, we looked at Daniel, and he gave up the, the delicious meat and wine that the king had in order to eat vegetables and drink water to stay healthy and preserve his, his physique and the, the group of guys with him, right? It's not always as easy as switching what you're eating. In some parts of our lives, surrender may be a season-long or even a lifelong process. It's because surrendering control requires a lot of effort. You can't sit back in your lazy boy 
and expect God or somebody else to do it for you. Speaking of which, how lazy is Lazy Boy? Literally, you only need one more letter to make us type A people happy, all right? I hate notifications on my phone. I hate when things are spelled wrong. Just put the Y in there. Lazy. Oh, it's so lazy. But anyway, uh, that's besides the point. It's always bothered me. So at least I got that out. Surrender requires effort. Again, Daniel 1.8 says, But Daniel determined that he would not defile himself by eating the king's food or drinking his wine. He resolved in his heart that he would make this move. Again, I want you to catch that. Daniel 1.8 starts, But Daniel determined. Not God determined. Not somebody else determined for Daniel. Not other people were telling. No. Daniel determined under his own free will to follow God's path. As you wind your way through the game of life, the board game of life, you eventually come to a point where you're able to choose the safe route or risky road. The safe route offers a path mostly free from potential harm. There's still some bad squares, uh, but you're mostly safe. The, The rewards aren't nearly as big. On the other hand, the risky route is a minefield of potential danger but some high-quality rewards if you're able to land there. Choosing God and choosing his path is choosing the risky road. It's not risky in the sense that you don't know where it'll lead, because we know the end goal, he tells us. But your comfort level will be compromised. You're going to be uneasy with certain moves that you have to make because it's, these are countercultural moves. Your habits, your patterns, hobbies, relationships, activities, and so on, they're they all might change in an instant because God will challenge you through his callings. That's where we're going to start today. God has a calling for each and every one of his believers. Don't let that pass you by today. God has a calling for each and every one of his believers. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 says that he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given, us, was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He saved us, and he has called us to a higher holy life. Callings aren't just for a select few. It's not like God looks down every decade or so and says, hmm, this lady Teresa, I'd pick her. She's going to do some good stuff. Uh, Yeah, Billy, Billy G, yeah, you're you're one of my guys now. Uh, Dennis P, yeah, yeah, you're one of my guys. No, this is for everybody. This is for absolutely everyone. Every believer has a calling from God. This calling is a purpose God gives you to fulfill by the very way he created you. Unfortunately, he didn't give me the singing voice that he gave to my sister, right? Or to Tyler or to Dana or anybody, Stephanie, they all have got beautiful singing voices. Me, well, just ask my van anytime that we go to a camp how often I sing in the car and how much they are planning on investing in earplugs, all right? I do not have a good singing voice, but... So that means I'm probably not going to lead worship like, like Crowder, right? But he did give me a loud voice that allows me to do some really goofy stretches during Quest, right? And again, I, I can be an upfront guy. 
God gives us these things so that we can fulfill his purpose. Your calling will be something that you have to grow into. I remember the very first night that I had at the warehouse. Uh, when, I, when I came on staff here at Southfield, very first night at the warehouse, I was like coming out of college, and when we did presentations, like there were certain things that you had to do, right? You, you go in, and every slide, like you have to have a picture, and it, or maybe a little video or something like that. It's, it's got, you got to spice it up, right? So every slide that I had for my presentation had some kind of picture. Some of them didn't even make sense, all right? Misty's shaking her head over here. She's like, yep, I remember. They were the most dull, boring, like drab slides ever, right? I'm not saying that I've improved in my slide making, but, uh, but it, that was something that I used to help me kind of keep track of where I was at in my teach. I've grown a little bit in being able to kind of carry on without following the script to a T. And again, my high school and junior hires, they'll tell you that sometimes I wander a little too much, but it's something that I grew into. I'm still growing in that area. The more, we, the more we mature in our calling, the more we understand our calling. The more we mature, the more of it we experience. Also, this calling may be something that is, or that, I'm sorry, it will be something that is directly tied to the will of God, not the will of Brian or Riley or Shelley or insert your name there. This calling will always advance the will of God. You don't choose your calling. God does. As one author puts it, if there's a challenge in front of you, a course of action that would cause you to grow and that would be helpful to the people around you, but you find yourself scared about it, there's a real good chance that God is in that challenge. If you're not facing any challenges too big for you, or if it's been a while since you've felt scared, there's a real good chance that you've been sitting in your lazy boy a little too long. When God calls someone to accomplish his mission, the task is almost always bigger than, anyone, than anything anyone can imagine doing. So accepting the call is a bold move that represents a giant step of faith. Think about Noah. Let's pick up his story in Genesis 6, 9 to 22. And I just want you to listen. I know we know this story, but just hear it out. This is, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So, again, we get the, the picture that Noah and his family have picked God's path, the rest of the world has said, no, we're going our own way. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're going to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long. It's like 450 feet, okay? 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all the way around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make it lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth and destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and when you enter the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, 
you are to bring the ark into the ark, two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come along with you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away for you and for them. Next part is the key. Noah did everything just as God commanded them. I have learned in my short two years of marriage that when Riley says, hey, can you go pick up X from the grocery store? I usually come home with Y and A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. I, I come home with everything pretty much but what she asks for because I always forget. She'll tell me on the phone. And again, because I wasn't focused on getting what she wanted, I'd come home with a bunch of extra random stuff. So I can't even handle a grocery list. Noah did everything, that whole long list we just went through, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Perfectly, to a T, no questions asked, no hesitation. Noah did it. Noah wasn't a professional ark builder. He had one shot at this thing. Let the reality of that sink in for a second. Riley, again, she'll tell you I'm barely capable enough of hanging things on the wall, let alone building a 450-foot-long arc that's however high. It's insane. Why? Why is this so important? Because he, he was sold out to follow God's calling. Verse 22 again, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He didn't add his own artistic touches. He didn't change the dimensions because he got tired of building it. No, he did everything just as God commanded him. Noah listened intently for his calling, picked up when he heard the ring, got out of his lazy boy, and went to work right away. Is God going to call you to build an ark? Probably not. Later on in Genesis 9, uh, God promises that he won't flood the earth like he did and wipe out everyone. He won't do that ever again. Okay, So we don't have to worry about that. But that doesn't mean that God won't call you to accomplish an ark-sized mission. Rectifying a broken relationship can sometimes be an ark-sized challenge. Luckily for us, God has given us each different attributes and characteristics to help us pursue his specific calling for our lives. Psychologist Martin Seligman, 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 I knew I was going to mess that up. Martin Seligman does a nice job of laying out six categories with 24 measurable characteristic strengths, okay? So we're not going to go through each one. That would be insane. But I do want you to at least see the list. So number one, wisdom and knowledge. Two, courage. Three, humanity. Justice, temperance, and transcendence. Under each of these, there, again, there are a total of 24 different attributes that follow up these character strengths. For example, under humanity are love, kindness, and social intelligence. Under temperance, we have forgiveness and mercy, humility, prudence, and self-control. Each one of these has things that build off of it that God has given you. I don't have the same character, character trait as you do. Yours is unique to you. God's given it unique to you because you have a unique calling for your life. Again, uh, Seligman created a 240-question 
uh, quiz that will help you identify just like the perfect level, that's, don't, don't take the test. Okay? That 240 questions is more than anybody needs to take. But he says that if you take that and you find out which of, your, which of these is your strengths, you'll find that you will have authentic happiness. You'll have authentic happiness because you'll have a belief that the strength is one of your core attributes. It's something that you're able to bring to the table. You'll be excited about using your strength. You'll have rapid learning when the strength is first used. So once you identify a strength, you will be able to grow in knowing how uh, to use it. You have continuous learning of new ways how to use that strength. You'll always want to keep digging to use that strength to the best of your ability. You'll feel joy. There will be zest. You'll be enthusiastic when you use your strength. Now, I, I know I said that he says that you'll experience authentic happiness. I think that's not, it's not just a human thing. Again, he's taking a perspective that takes God out of the picture. God's given us these things. And why, why does he say we experience authentic happiness? Because you're following God's route. You're following God's road. I say that figuring this out can help you confidently know that God did design you uniquely with a specific calling in mind. Because we're imperfect, God doesn't call us to make our moves on our own, in our own strength, using just the characteristics that he gives us. Proof of that can be found all throughout the Psalms that David wrote. We're going to go through a few right now. Psalm 9:10. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 27. The Lord is my sight or is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So you get the, he's, he gives us these characteristics to help us pursue his will and find his calling for our life. And then we come back to him for the support, like David is right here in Psalm 37. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He doesn't leave you alone. He doesn't make you walk this road by yourself. No, he will never let the righteous be shaken. And finally, in Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Even in looking just at this verse, does David share insecurity? Absolutely. You bet he does. But he also shows that what matters most when God calls you to do something is not whether or not you feel inadequate. Of course you'll feel that way. You are inadequate. I am inadequate. That's why God promises to be with us. What matters is, what matters is your decision to trust God. Answer the call. Leave comfortable behind. Only people who say yes to God's challenges, demands, and risks can ever experience full life. 
I do need to be clear. Being comfortable is not a sin. It's not a bad thing, right? So we've been pushing towards like learning and growing and all that. Being comfortable is not a sin in and of itself, but it can become one. It becomes sin when we refuse to leave our comfort to walk in our calling. If we love comfort more than the calling of God, if the only reason that we won't serve or give or sacrifice is because we don't want to be uncomfortable, that's resisting God, his will, and refusing his call for our lives. So again, you were made for a mission. God has made you capable of accomplishing that mission. He's given you a calling. What is your calling? Maybe you haven't discovered it yet. Maybe you haven't even thought about it yet. If that's the case, uh, you might be indulging in another thing that we're going to call a shadow mission. So this is separate from your calling. We're looking at what, what we're going to call a shadow mission. Just as we all have a calling a way of, or a way of contributing to God's kingdom that we are designed and specifically gifted for, everybody has a shadow mission. If you have a little bit of nerd in you, like I do, uh, you probably like Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings, right? So I always bring back Lord of the Rings references, and this is just a perfect time to do it, because when, uh, in the first movie, if you could make it, if you made it through it, uh, you'll find that Frodo, who's a hobbit, okay? Hobbits are like these tiny little creatures. They got hairy feet, all right? They're, they're pretty weak. They're uh, generally a little soft, because uh, all they do is like eat, all right? They're very small, and, and they're viewed as inadequate beings, okay? Frodo is among this group of people of all different species, right? So you got elves, you got humans, you got dwarves, you got all these things. And they're trying to come up with a way to destroy what's called the Ring of Power, okay? So the Ring of Power, again, I'm not going to get, I'm not, like, we're not going to go into full story here. Uh, but the Ring of Power was one ring that gave whoever had it more power than anybody else on earth, Okay? This ring needed to be destroyed because it was being used for evil, all right? So they needed to destroy the ring, and it could only be destroyed in the place where it was created. It needed to be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. And I, yes, I'm getting super geeky about this, but it's okay. It needed to be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. So all these big, burly, tough guys and elves and all these things, they're, they're coming together, and they're saying, they're arguing over who's going to be in control of taking this ring to Mount Doom to destroy it. Frodo pipes in, and he says, I'll do it. And they all kind of laugh him off. They're like, no, you're a hobbit. You can't do this. It's not possible, right? Well, they end up deciding that he actually was the best person for the mission, even though he was the shortest. He was definitely the weakest. Uh, But they all say, you know what? We're in this together. We are going to support Frodo, and you are going to get to Mount Doom, and you are going to destroy that stupid ring, okay? Because there's no other way to destroy it. Now, the thing about the ring is that it takes you over slowly. It's so powerful that even as Frodo's wearing it, he has like these flashes of what's going on. Like, because the, the, its creator, the bad dude, uh, he's trying to get it back. So he's calling out to this ring, and the ring wants to go back to him. So Frodo, throughout this whole journey, keeps fighting this battle. Does he give in? Does he take that ring and use it for himself? There's a really dramatic scene where it's like they're about to destroy it, and he's like, no, wait, this, this is what I've needed all along. And he goes to put it on, and then he has his finger bitten off. And it's crazy. But the point is, 
the point is, we're kind of like that on our journey. Not, I hope you don't have your fingers bitten off. But we're kind of like that. We're kind of like Frodo. We feel inadequate. We look at ourselves and like, this is a tall task. There's no way I can do this. But God says, yes, you can. This is your calling. Not to, maybe to destroy a ring, but this is, this is what you're supposed to do. This is my call for your life. And throughout your entire journey, which, again, if you've read the books or seen the movies, it's a long journey. The whole time, you're going to be facing temptation and struggle and letdown and distractions that will try and pull you away from God's path, from God's call in your life. We need to clearly identify our shadow missions like Jesus does. And again, our shadow missions for us could be anything from um, any, any number of, of sins that distract us from God. Whether it be pornography, whether it be a foul mouth, whether it be an addiction to pills or alcohol or whatever it is. Again, we all have our own individual struggles. But those are our shadow missions. And Jesus went through, he had shadow missions. F, uh, again, another psychologist named F.F. F. Bruce, he tells it this way, time and time again, the temptation came to him, Jesus, from many directions to choose some less costly way of fulfilling that calling uh, than the way of suffering and death. But he resisted it to the end and set his face steadfastly to accomplish the purpose for which he had come into the world. Again, knowing the story of Jesus, it's... He faced the same temptations that we did, guys. The same temptations. And again, this is direct. Like Satan is coming to him and saying, why are you going to do this? You don't need to do this. Take the easy way out. And Jesus said, no. This is God's will. And I want to make sure that God's will is done here on earth. So if you haven't discovered your calling or you know you've been struggling with a shadow mission, You need to take time and identify what steps you can take to develop a keener sense of God's presence in your life and become more attentive to listen for his calling. Because again, we sometimes block out God's calling in our life. So some of the questions that you can ask ask of yourselves. If I have heard his calling and I haven't done anything with it yet, what's keeping me from rolling the dice and stepping out in faith to answer God's call? What are my fears related to the challenge that he's given me? And in what ways are these fears holding me back? To what extent do I allow busyness to crowd out what I would consider to be the most important thing in life, God's call? I think an important practice we all need to partake in is taking inventory of our time. Note, I did not say inventorying how you want to spend your time or inventorying how you think you spend your time. No, inventorying how you spend your time. I want you to try and grab a piece of paper this week. Sometime during the week before next Sunday, take just a blank sheet of paper, okay? You can cut it into whatever shape you want. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You're going to take a piece of paper, and you're going to... I want you to map out how you spend a normal 24-hour period with these things. You're going to fill your square. You're going to fill your square with your have-tos. And again, like, I want you to draw out, like, try and make it as even as possible um, in terms of how, like, you spend your time, okay? So 24 hours... What are your have-tos? Sleeping, eating, work, school. Obviously, those things you, you can't avoid. Okay? You have to do those. So in a normal 24-hour period, that's a lot of time already gone. right? A lot of time that's already sucked out of, um, out of the day. Two, God. That's praying. 
That's studying the Bible. That's going to journey group. That's going to youth group if you're a student. Whatever it is, however you spend time with God or get in touch with God, fill your square there. People, whether that's serving family, friends, coworkers, if you, again, do things in the community, however. Uh, and then focusing on your calling. How often do you actually spend thinking about, or how much time do you actually spend thinking about what mission God has for your life? How do you develop the gifts that he's given you to accomplish that mission in life? Joy and shadow mission. Again, I want you to like literally map this out because it'll put it into perspective as to how you're spending your time. And if, you, if you're someone who says either I'm inadequate, I, I can't be used by God, then again, evaluate how much time you're actually putting into hearing God's call because I guarantee you, you're probably blocking it out. All right? Um, yeah, so, and over the next week, after you map this out, pick one area in which you can work on improving, spending more time either with God, working on discovering your calling if you haven't, or developing those gifts that God's given you to work on your calling. Maybe this week, you don't do the square, and you just become intensely aware of all the decisions that are open to you this week, all the choices that you have to make. Like the game of life, it winds and you have different roads and different paths that you can take. Maybe you become intensely aware of all the decisions. What you wear, what you're watching, what you're listening to, choosing between Google Maps and Waze. Literally list out the choices that you have to make throughout the week. Some will be bigger. or I'm sorry, some will be smaller, like choosing Google Maps or Waze. Some will be bigger, like refusing to allow your boss to dictate your mood based on how he or she treats you. Again, all things to think about. The bottom line with all this is that when you resolve in your heart, like Daniel did, to honor God in all that you do, he becomes involved in your life in ways that you cannot foresee. That's how you discover your calling. I'm going to wrap here uh, with a little piece from my salvation message at Omega. Uh, I had the honor of presenting that on Saturday night. And our primary verse for the week was Joshua 3.5. At this point in the book, Moses and all of his generation, they're gone. Right? So they've passed on. The Israelites have spent 40 years in the, in the wilderness being punished by God because, again, they disobeyed. So none of them were allowed. Once Moses died, Joshua takes over. So now he's the point guy. And they're about to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land, finally. Again, after waiting for 40 years. That's where we hit chapter 3, verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecration means the separation of oneself from things that are unclean, especially anything that would contaminate one's relationship with a pure God. In Joshua 3.5, as was the case earlier in Exodus 19, when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai, the people of God are in part literally being commanded to wash their clothes, clean themselves, and then spend time in repentant prayer in order to become consecrated with God. So they did, without hesitation, without question. The Israelites resolved to honor God exactly as he asked. And he did amazing things among them. The first thing was that he parted the Jordan, and they were able to walk into the promised land on dry ground. That sounds familiar because he had already done it for them. But again, none of these people had seen that miracle. So it was brand new to them, which I always thought was pretty cool. 
They consecrated themselves to God, and in doing so, they offered themselves as living sacrifices to God. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was something to be set apart for God, a lamb, bird, ram, grain, whatever it was, uh, and it was to be put on the altar. These things were sinless, also described as unblemished in the Old Testament. These things were uh, unblemished sacrifices. When people offered that thing to God, it no longer belonged to the person offering it. It belonged to God for his use and for his satisfaction. When Joshua says, consecrate yourselves, he's literally saying, God wants you to set yourself apart as a, as a living sacrifice to God. Paul describes it beautifully in Romans chapter 12. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here we always, we, we talk about God's call. You've got to understand, we know that God's call is going to be perfect. His will is perfect, therefore his call for your life, for your specific life, will be perfect. And it's up to us to choose not to not conform to the ways of this world, but instead to follow God's path and actually do something with the gifts that he's given us and work at hearing what he's trying to tell us. You see, we give up our own claims on ourselves and put ourselves completely into his hands, into his control. Previously, our life was being used for us, for our use and our satisfaction. Now it is his. What satisfies him will certainly give you long-lasting satisfaction. Before, we chased satisfaction, love, excitement, peace, and fulfillment by doing things that the rest of the world does. Upon consecrating ourselves with God, we leave that trash behind in favor of discovering his call for our lives. Say it again. When you resolve in your heart to honor God in all that you do, he becomes involved in your life in ways that you cannot foresee. When Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you, he literally meant the next day. Their calling was to enter the promised land at that time, and they fulfilled it the very next day. For you, your tomorrow might not come for a week. It might not come for a month or a year. It might not come until you're in a nursing home. But that doesn't give us the excuse to sit around in our lazy boy waiting for that call to find us. We need to be in active pursuit of his will and his plan and answer his call. Because when he does call us, we don't want to be caught off guard. We don't want to scramble. We want to be ready to act. Let's pray. God, we thank you for using imperfect people to fulfill your perfect will. I pray this week as we work to assess our, our, the use of our time, that you would make your will for our lives, your call for our lives, apparent. That you would make it visible and tangible in our lives this week so that we can begin the act of getting up out of our lazy boys and instead of just sitting around doing nothing, actively pursuing your will and fulfilling your call for our lives. 
God, help us to work through this not only alone but together, always keeping you at the center of it all. Uh, We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys have a great Sunday. You are my life. You are my love. You are my reason. You are my hope. You are my joy. You are my passion. My hope.